0: Boys and girls, I'm going to give you an assignment. I want you to write a project-based competency-based education, online and hybrid classes. Demand exceeds Disruption of global education systems in history. I'm Jimmy Leonard. This is Kicking It New School. New School is Nano Learning, Part 2. Well, welcome back, everyone, or welcome the first time if you skipped ahead to this episode. Previously, I talked about the what of nano learning. It's this idea that we can create highly customizable, relevant, effective educational nuggets that in their fullest realization could even replace the traditional classroom model where one teacher has to try to cater to three dozen individual learning styles in the same room at the same time. Hashtag life goals. So the goal of this episode is to demonstrate that nano lessons can actually work. And I'm probably putting myself into a corner by saying that it's a lot of pressure to just suddenly produce a great lesson off the cuff. But you know what? I'm actually not claiming that this episode of Kickin' It New School has all the staff and fancy video resources of a for-profit ed company that's just churning out these nano-lessons. I'm actually not trying to give you something that's highly polished with Avatar special effects and Joe Rogan-level guest appearances. This is low-budget. This is simple. And that's on purpose. I'm doing this for the teachers and the homeschool parents who are listening to this and maybe don't have a lot of spare time or energy, but want some reassurance that nano-learning is a strategy they can try and want some good hacks of how to do it easily. So to demonstrate this, I'm going to talk about rocket science. Initiating Launch Sequence Specifically, how does a rocket leave the Earth? Explained in one minute for someone who likes math and science. Newton's third law of motion tells us that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. On the launch pad, a rocket fires gas out of its high-pressured thrusters straight down at the Earth. That downward force has an opposite reaction that pushes the rocket up. There's a catch. If it were just that simple, we could launch ourselves into space just by blowing air at the ground. But we know that doesn't work because of gravity. Gravity is already a huge force pulling the rocket to earth. So the engine has to exert enough downward force that the opposite upward force is even stronger than the force of gravity. The minute that upward force is stronger than gravity, we have liftoff. Now remember, force equals mass times acceleration. As that engine keeps burning and exerting force, the rocket accelerates until finally it goes fast enough to break the force of Earth's gravity. That required speed is called the escape velocity. It's 11 kilometers per second, which is about 25,000 miles per hour. So that's a traditional way to explain it. But at the same time, it isn't. Notice, I'm assuming that the student already knows things like Newton's laws of motion. If they don't, prerequisites need to be explained in a separate lesson. That is huge. This is a pillar of successful nano learning. Student attention span is so short, don't waste it on things they already know. Also notice, I keep it relatively simple. I'm not getting into the technicalities of drag or that we're actually talking about kinetic energy when I say escape velocity. Like, No, save that. New layers go in a separate lesson. Some new layers actually don't belong in a middle or high school class. Let them get into that on their own time or when they go to university. Successful Nano Learning is a module with 12 five-minute lessons It is never a one-hour-long lesson. We are breaking this up into bite-sized pieces. So both of those things would equal 60 minutes of instruction, but they are different. With the nano-learning method, students digest and practice one thing before receiving the next thing. So now let's do this again. How does a rocket leave the Earth? Explained in one minute for someone who doesn't like science. I want you to jump in the air as high as you can seriously just try it now think about what you just did before you went up you had to bend your knees and lower your body you had to go down so you could explode upward off the ground if you didn't push down on the ground first you wouldn't jump very high that push off the ground is the same way that a rocket launches into outer space the only difference is that a rocket has a massive amount of energy for its push off The rocket fires gas down at the ground to push itself up into the air now normally when you jump the force of gravity will bring you back to earth that happens because while you're up in the air you're not pushing down on the ground anymore you run out of upward momentum and the downward pull of gravity takes over but the rocket keeps burning fuel it keeps pushing and it goes higher and higher and higher until eventually it's going so fast that it escapes the pull of gravity that moment is called escape velocity. What's important to recognize in that second version is that it's not dumbing it down. It's just explaining the concept differently. I left out some things like calling it Newton's third law, but I still described what the law communicates. I'm still using terms that might be on a test like gravity or escape velocity, but the main word picture is about something universally relatable, jumping into the air. Not presuming that the student is going to find rockets themselves really interesting. Because we know there are different levels of interest here. There's like NASA scientist Katherine Johnson interest in rockets and mathematics. There's island party boy Richard Branson interest in rockets and space tourism. And then there are people who've never even seen Star Wars. By the way, just to clarify, we are talking elementary space travel today. Hyperspace drives, our next week's lesson. So in an ideal situation, again, what we really want is a video library. Total differentiation. If you want to go really advanced into aerospace engineering and make your own model rocket as a school project, click over here if you want the most layperson explanations you want everything to connect to a everyday scenario because you have zero intention of ever doing anything with space travel in your career click over here and then there's all the middle grounds right however many that would be that's the direction i think education is headed but i'm realistic too i know that's not reality for most of us yet so earlier i promised some teacher hacks for how you can do this even on a low budget or without a lot of high-tech educational software to support you. So today I've got four things. Number one, everything is a choice. Everything is a choice. Now, right out the gate, I'm gonna clarify, this does not mean learning is optional. It does not mean the objective you are trying to teach is optional. It just means that students have a choice. In my rocket example, it's asking students, how do you want to learn about this? Do you want a highly theoretical approach with lots of trig worksheets where you're calculating cosine and solving equations for different variables? Do you want an engineering applied oriented science experiment where you see this concretely and not just theoretically? Or do you want a story-based metaphorical approach that involves writing or art, science without the science, so to speak? If you can spare the work up front, create two homework assignments, at least two, and then let them choose. Maybe one is a computer-based worksheet and one is a hands-on craft, I'm a writing teacher, so sometimes it's as simple as letting kids choose from a list of prompts. As for instruction, create stations in the classroom and then let them choose which one to go to first. When I was teaching in a public school, I would have six or seven activities for a given unit and I would tell students they only had to do four. Now here's the secret, all six or seven activities were independent practices of the same learning targets. I just let students decide How do you want to learn this? Do you want to do textbook problems? Do you want to play this online game? Do you want something tactile, like making a poster? And what this forced me to do in my lesson planning was to make the assignments short. Nano lessons. Trust me, I know nobody's got time to make really involved projects for seven classroom stations on top of everything else a teacher does, and that's the point. I'm not assigning that gigantic hours-long unit project to every kid. I'm assigning nano projects and letting the kids choose. Sometimes I actually call this the illusion of choice, because remember, the learning part is not optional. You still have to learn about constant force or constant acceleration or punctuation rules or long division or whatever it is, It's just giving students some freedom to approach the topic in a way that makes sense to them. An alternative here, if you don't have the time or energy or resources to make those seven different activities, just divide a homework assignment or a lesson by difficulty. For example, with a textbook, identify which are the basic questions and which are the more advanced. Then tell students you can choose. The old school method is to assign like 100 math problems to every student because practice makes perfect, but instead give short nano lesson options. Do 1 through 15 if you want basic homework, or do numbers 42 through 51 if you want challenging homework. I guarantee they won't all pick easy. Students will surprise you because what happens is they'll self-select Yes, students who really don't enjoy or have trouble with the subject will opt for the basic homework. But students who want to push themselves and who want to feel rewarded will opt for the challenge. Think about it this way the kids who self select the hard stuff already know the basics, so you're just giving them the choice to not be bored out of their minds. The kids who self select the easy stuff might have trouble with the challenge. So you're just giving them the choice to feel smart today and not feel like they hate math because they never understand it. Let the harder stuff come when they feel more confident. So often we leave kids to struggle on a difficult homework for hours and they end up doing it wrong anyway. What a pointless waste of time. Skip that. Skip the stress and let the kids go one step at a time with mastery. Okay, number one was choice. Number two, limit lecture. Some people say seven minutes. Some people say five minutes. I don't think there's a magic number here, but the point is that teacher-led instruction should be a small part of a lesson, never the majority of the lesson, and especially never the whole thing. That college class when the professor just talked the whole time and you ended up scrolling Facebook, like why do we try to do that in high school and middle school too? And this includes guided notes. This whole, I'm gonna write something on the whiteboard, you copy it down. If you do that, that should be a few minutes maximum. Definitely not 20 or 30, nano lesson. Again, this saves you time because you're planning a shorter lecture. You need fewer slides on the PowerPoint. Think about what is the one thing I wanna teach today. Then focus on that. Don't review old stuff. Don't try to tie it into new stuff, at least not in lecture. Practices and homeworks will do that for you. So number three goes off of number two. Number two was limit lecture. Number three is increase student ideation. The lesson should be their idea. It might seem daunting at first, but when you master this, it will cut your lesson planning time down to almost zero. I usually teach English language arts, so if I'm going to teach a lesson on compound sentences, I'm not going to spend time coming up with a bunch of my own examples. I'm not going to Google for someone else's examples. In class, I ask the students, somebody give me an idea of what I could write a sentence about. Maybe they'll say kangaroos, maybe they'll say cars, I don't know. But using their ideas, I trust my own competency with sentence writing to come up with examples on the spot then students feel like they own the lesson and they're certainly more engaged because I'm using their ideas. It works for math. Algebra. Somebody give me a vehicle. Hovercraft. Okay. Somebody give me a speed. One million miles per hour. Wow, that's fast. Uh, Give me a time. Two hours. Okay, so how far does our hovercraft go in two hours? That's a lot more interesting than just X's and Y's. Biology. Maybe you're teaching parts of the cell. Ask questions like, what does this look like to you? What does this remind you of? Yeah, you're right. Mitochondria kind of do look like little bugs. Okay, let's imagine that these are mighty bugs. Hey, that's a good trick. Mitochondria, mighty bugs. These mighty bugs make energy. History. Ask, what would you do in this situation? How would that make you feel if a king taxed you without giving you representation? Okay, now flip it. How would you feel if someone disrespected your authority? Are we starting to understand some causes of this conflict? The long and short of it is that students are engaged when they care about the topic. So do whatever is possible to give them reasons to care about the topic, work with their ideas. It might sound like this is getting your lesson off topic, but the beauty of nano lessons is that you really should only have one small objective in the lesson anyway. If a student is gonna go on to a career in a biomedical field, yes, they will self-select to learn more about cells. But for most kids, a basic understanding of cellular respiration is really all they need. Too often, we drown students. Textbooks do this all the time. To stick with the bio example, We can sometimes require middle schoolers to memorize all of these different enzymes and give them this ridiculously hard vocabulary quiz where for some reason spelling counts. But why? What ends up happening is that we're testing kids' study habits and memorization, not their comprehension of biology, So the kids who have the ability to memorize foreign-sounding words and spell them correctly, they get an A. And the kids who have poor study skills, they get frustrated and defeated, and then they say, science sucks, I hate this, I always fail the quizzes. Because we're testing them on how well they test. We're not teaching them the concepts of biology, and we're not rewarding them for comprehending it. So nano-lessons say, we're not studying for a test. We're gonna learn something. We're gonna learn a main idea. That's the trailhead, so to speak. And then you students will have options. You'll have different directions of how you want to explore this topic. So what this means for the teacher is that you spend less time writing assessments and more time letting students learn. Number four, my last nano lesson hack is about feedback. Whenever you try something new, ask students if they enjoyed it. What was your favorite part? What was your least favorite part? Nano-learning shifts from thinking about how students should learn to striving for how students want to learn. And it's equally important to give students self-assessments too. I love the rate yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 kind of questions. Even if it's just something like, how hard did you try on this? How happy were you with your work? How well did you understand this? And did you ask questions when you were stuck? The point is not to guilt them for not trying their hardest. The point is to help them realize their own agency. If you as an educator are striving to make this student choice centric model work, you need students to realize that their choices matter and directly influence what they're getting out of the experience. Okay. I'm going to take a breath. I get fired up about this. Hey, if you're listening to this and you are thinking, I want to try a mini lesson, but I need some help to get started. Contact me. The website is jimmyleonard.com slash podcast. I can help you process your thoughts. Honestly, you probably have brilliant and creative ideas already. So I'm just helping that dream come to life. Send me your questions. Send me your success stories too. I love hearing those but kicking it new school is a podcast about challenging some of the longstanding assumptions in education and exploring how we can reach this current generation. If you got anything out of this episode today, the highest compliment that you could pay is sharing a link with your friends or on your social media. It's a joy to be with you. Thank you so much for listening until next time.